I started as a deckhand with one of the companies. I realized like college is coming to an end. I still have a passion for maritime and water. Graduated in the winter, licensed within three months using my sea time from working as a deckhand on those vessels. Those three months later, that following season, went right into service as a captain, had seven vessels. Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for another episode of Boating Insider. I am here with Captain Carrie Jenny, and we had a chance to get to know each other a couple weeks ago when we were looking at some support from one of her vessels, and we just started talking. And her experience, her viewpoint, and some of the things that she is on a mission on in this industry are just really fascinating, and I am really excited to introduce you to her. She is not only a captain, she is a Coast Guard instructor. She'll tell you more about that because I'm sure I didn't say it all the way. And she's also a yacht broker. And so she's been in the industry since she was 18 years old. And I'm excited for her to tell you the stories and some of the things that maybe you didn't know are going on in the maritime industry that um, you could be a part of. So, hi, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Okay, so let's jump into it. Let's tell the world about you and what you're doing now. And then we'll shoot back to how in the world did you get here? Because you started... Where did you come from today? Because you came in sweating, and what did you do today? Uh, I came out of Port Everglades off of a shipboard firefighting course, requirement for going to upper-level Coast Guard licensing. So, um, shipboard yeah. firefighting course. Yes, or advanced firefighting for those in the industry. So, what does that look like? What, did, what happened today? <laughs> um, so, today was running simulations and actual drills. We spent all of yesterday prepping... Orient, orient, orientating ourselves to the training vessel and simulator, gearing up, making sure that we were appropriately suited out for today, and then running several different scenarios of fires breaking out on board and sending fire teams accordingly, commanding the scene, leading the fire teams, learning if you are not part of the leadership aboard your vessel, what your role is, everyone's place, everyone's duty to work as a team in order to put that, that fire out so you're keeping yourself safe and your crewmates safe. So are you the captain in, in this role or do you switch roles throughout the simulation? So in this scenario, I actually opted as much as possible to stay out of the on-scene command side of it because I've been immersed in it for my entire career. Um, and felt that I needed to better understand what those serving under me are going to be going through. Wow. So I decided I wanted to go in on the hose teams. I wanted to see what hose management teams did, what search and rescue teams were doing beyond what we would have learned in basic training. Um, and then being able to maybe assist and give pointers to a captain or a mariner taking the course that has never had a real-life experience with having to command the scene. Wow. So, so how many people are in the class with you? Um, in this class, it was smaller because we're in the middle of the summer and not a lot of people like they to give discounts. Like, <laughs> <for that laughs> right? I wish. I totally wish. Uh, because it's such a hot time of the year and the boats are scattered to the Mediterranean or up to New England, uh, there was only 13 of us. Okay. And it came from commercial. Um, foreign-flagged vessels, uh, instructors from other countries also coming in to, to learn and sharpen their skills. It's pretty so. awesome. But this is real fire, right? Like they, they, they light real fires. 
So you do feel the heat. Wow. Yes. That's impressive. Props off to firefighters that do it every day. You know, we did a, just a mini survey around people that we do in the industry and just a real quick, like top, top fear being on the water, you know, just trying to understand what we can do better on our side with our software of, you know, how do we stop some of those fears from becoming a reality with software support? And I was like, uh, being stranded on the water, mm-hmm. fire. Absolutely. That came up. I think that was pretty much it. I don't know if there was a, a third one, but that was like, everybody's kept saying fire and being stranded on the water. And yes. I didn't realize how often fire is a real, real problem. And I started pulling up all of these reports and it's like, this is a very real situation. Absolutely. That's out there. The lithium-ion batteries have been a game changer for onboard fires right now. Yeah, wasn't there one that just happened? Was it here? In the med. Okay. They had another one, unfortunately, in the med this this past season. Yeah. Um, But with that, there's been some great takeaways, being able to sit back, debriefing every scenario that we performed today, and really understanding that if you're going to be a captain or an officer aboard a yacht, whether you're a two-man team or two-crew team, captain, deckhand, wearing multiple hats, or you're on one of the 300-foot giga yachts and you've got a crew of 26, it's important to make sure your crew is fully orientated to the vessel, know their gear, they need to practice, they need to drill with their gear. Um, It's not enough to like take it out, inspect it. Oh yeah, we have it, here it is in case you ever need it. You've got to treat drills and you've got to do them monthly. You've got to log them. So being able to capture that in software, as that's where we're heading. Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. And building in the drills to remind the officers aboard, hey, you need to do your man overboard drill. You need to do your mm. um, your fire aboard drill. You need to do abandoned ship. Wow. You need, and okay. in, in this, you need to be surveying your emergency and your rescue equipment to make sure everything is operational. That's functioning as it should. What's Absolutely. gear when you say the gear? So for, um, depending on the classification of your vessel, you may have bunker gear or fire gear specifically the outfits that the firefighters and the fire team would wear in close to the fire. So like a real, like the heavy... Absolutely. Oh, okay. That's what I was envisioning. I thought, yes. no. So on larger vessels, even on the larger yachts, you'll typically see about two of those outfits available aboard. Okay. Um, what's scary to think about is in the commercial world, even on these large thousand footers, it's often two to four of those outfits on the entire vessel. Why is that? It, the standards are just not coming up there wow. to where they need to be for the shipboard firefighting aspect. And um, the school that I took, that I'm taking this course through my, and, and, and finishing this particular class with, this is what they do. And we train a lot for other scenarios. It's, it's very easy for us to tra- train for a man overboard. And... Abandoned ship because we all run to one spot, find the life raft, you know, that type of deal. But the fire gets a little trickier on fancy boats. Oh, I bet. You know, you don't want to haul out all the gear for fear that you're going to scratch something, mar something up. Yeah. But you have to, if, if your crew doesn't know how to connect the fire hoses, how to pressurize the system, how it's going to react once you totally uh, energize the system, 
Holy they're going to be caught off guard. So where do you where do you get the boat? Was it, was it donated? I mean, how does that even come to be? So the vessel where we train, the school actually built their own simulator. Okay. Years and years ago, decades ago, they built their simulator in Port Everglades. Um, and they use it for international training. Okay. Um, they have navies and Navy train, naval trainers from other countries that fly in and do simulations. Wow. And then this particular school also has a salvage arm to their company. So when there is a major incident, if it's one of the vessels that falls under their contracts, they're responding to support the fire teams if it's in a port or they're flying out to ships wow. and supporting the crew that's on board. Wow. So they, 100%, they do understand exactly what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. Um, they would love to see firefighting codes become a little more heavier aboard the boats, bring sure. it up. Uh, because when you're out there on your own, you, you are the fire department. The fire department can't be flown in and dropped into you. Right. Your crew has to do it. So they— What a you, great resource they yeah, are. You, you train hard and you—and it, and it does. It puts you in the right mindset. But once you leave class as an officer or a mariner doing an AD or a third mate, essentially officers working up toward officers, that all that training that we did in class doesn't count unless we're following through and we're implementing drills and we're practicing and we're checking our equipment right. and making sure. So it's That's absolutely really a great course. All right, so we started out strong with what you did say, but back us up. So how did you get into the marine industry? Where did that start? Um, you know, and to get you here today. So take us back. The most embarrassing story ever, but it's, it's not so much. So I grew up on the Canadian border of the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway. Um, beautiful spring, summer, fall. Beautiful winter, but absolutely freezing and cold. It okay. freezes up, it ices over. Nobody's moving. It's literally a waterway that's shut down in the wintertime. Okay. Um, but during all of those beautiful months, my family spent as much of it as we could at the St. Lawrence Seaway. Massive river system um, connecting the Great Lakes out to the ocean, like 25 miles wide sunspots. Oh, wow. It narrows out as it heads toward Montreal and Quebec, widens back out at the mouth, but absolutely stunning. Archipelago of islands through it, close to 2,000 of them. Huge mansions, summer, you know, it's, it was the Niveau Riches playground when they were accepted in the Hamptons, like back during the Gilded Age. But we also had these large ships that come through, mm -hmm. carrying cargo in and out of the Great Lakes from the Midwest, Chicago, Lake Michigan, all of it. And as a child, I watched those. Watched those ships in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Like every year, um, as much as we could get to the river. Yeah. We watched them. Um, one of the first birthday presents I ever remember was a plastic toy tugboat. <laughs> Fantastic. It was red. Did you ask for it or did they I just didn't. know? No, they yeah. just knew. <laughs> it was it was red, had a yellow superstructure. You could um you could press on the top and it would go toot toot. <laughs> and you could attach a line to it and you could throw you could you could tow it through with a 
the mud puddles or around the dock. Um, That's when you fell in love, right? I love my my toy tugboat. I absolutely, if I could find it again, um, just get the replica. I would be like, absolutely, oh my gosh, ecstatic. Okay, we're going to search for eBay later, Chris. (laughs) So I... um, the love of water came early, and it's been in my family for forever. Um, long maritime history with every generation having at least a mariner in it. Oh, really? Yes. That's yep. pretty awesome. Right now, there's there's two of us. I have an older cousin, not too much older, I will say that. Um, we kind of compete with each other as we're doing our licensing. <laughs> Um, love him to death. And he took to the water, realizing also that everything he was doing land-based, it, it was still the water. The yeah. water was his passion. And both of us were unsupported. Um, not purposely. It was like very rural area where we also grew up. They didn't know how to support us getting into this business yeah. and this career without telling us to go off to a maritime academy. And then even then, he was a couple school districts over than I, than I was, right on the waterway, working with the, and knew the pilots that were bringing the ships up mm. and down. So he knew um, my school district, they told us to, and no offense to the Coast Guard, they told us if we wanted a career on water, join the Coast Guard or the Navy. They didn't tell us about merchant mariners. They didn't tell us about recreational yachting captains, any of that. They they didn't even they didn't even tell us that we had a SUNY maritime school in New York State. Wow. As I was growing up. I was already immersed in college when my mother's like, you know, there's a maritime academy for SUNY, right? I'm like, what? Huh? She's like, yeah, you know, you could transfer. I'm like, mom, I'm like three semesters away from graduating. If I do that, I'm back at square one. And decided to go a different route. In the summers, I started working for passenger boats. Um, we'd carry tons, I mean, thousands, thousands of individuals every season out on the waterway, weaving them through the islands, taking them to, ferrying them to uh, tourist attractions, mm-hmm. letting them spend time there. They'd come back to the docks. We'd pick them up, take them back. Um, after that, got done with the day, we'd turn the boats into dinner cruise boats. Okay. <laughs> but you can only do that so long. Yeah. What was your role in that? Were you so I a deckhand or? I started as a deckhand okay. um, with one of the companies. Then as soon as I realized, like, college is coming to an end. I still have a passion for for maritime and water, made the deal with my mother. I'll get the college degree, then license. Okay. Without going to, because I wasn't going off to the academy. Um, And so I graduated in the winter of one year, licensed within three months using my sea time from working as a deckhand on those vessels. Okay. And just after college graduation, um, those three months later, that following season, went right into service as a captain at the company with, uh, we have had seven vessels. Okay. Um, and That's quick. <laughs> started operating right away. Um, 
working my way up to the larger of the vessels at 120 foot before I decided to make my way to Florida. Um, we, we went from carrying anywhere from 72 passengers on one of the vessels all the way up to like, I want to say, if I recall correctly, and it could have changed by now, 439 passengers at wow. a time. Yeah. So you're captaining one of seven vessels in this fleet. On a, almost, a, almost a daily basis. Six days a week, I would have been out there during season, one day off. Um, and at the end of the season, I, I, I spent most of my time on the, the tri-deck, um, the flagship of the fleet that I came out of, and also taking on crew to train. So new crew would come in, and because I was a stickler for training and orientation, like 100%, um, my crew could also train new crew coming in and work with them before we sent them off to the other vessels. Gotcha. Uh, And then captains also. They would bring in new captains, needed to learn the boats, needed to learn how to maneuver them. Hey, can you take this captain in a couple days? You know, we're slower part of the season. Can we throw them on with you? Can you start to show them, you know, how the, the, boat, how the boat responds, where the systems are, everything of that nature. Now, did you have a mentor that helped you with that, or was it more trial and um, error? <laughs> I've had several, several amazing mentors in it. Um, the last GM I worked with at that company was absolutely phenomenal. And... I want to say it's because he was a big girl dad. Or like, he's a, he's a, a girl dad. Okay. Because <laughs> I give my dad a lot of credit for being a girl dad as yeah. well. Um, he, he didn't cut me any slack. I was expected to, and he, you know, he never came out straight out and said, I expect you to perform better than the men. But you could sense it, like, do it, own it, like, and you've got this. Like, have some confidence in yourself and don't let these men shame you into thinking you're not worthy and you can't do it. And he was 100% a driving force, very supportive. I had an all-female crew, which was not normal. I was going to say, probably <laughs> not the norm. And what an incredible yeah, support line. Because of him, I was able to mentor my girls, yeah. my, my women aboard, and have them come up into licenses also, um, which is just, it's, it's like, a, you feel like a mom. Yeah, absolutely. You're like, oh my gosh, my babies, yeah, they're doing. Proud. Yes, absolutely. And although they're not all c- consistently still operating now, just the sheer fact that they did it, I know that they can go back at any time. They can retake the course and the tests and... And be licensed again in a flash if that's what they choose to do. Um, but he 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 really was a driving force, and him sending an example like that put a lot of other captains into that mentality of look, like nobody is actually out there teaching her. She's going out there. She's putting the time in. This is what you do. Mm. We don't hold your hand. Okay, we do to an extent, but we don't. You have to want to better yourself. You want, are, are going to want to have to rise to the top. You need to bring that mentality of, if something goes down on my boat, I am it. The buck stops with me. Yeah. So I need to make sure accountability goes that down. ownership. It has to go through the entire crew. Yeah. 
Um, with that mentality, we, um, we did have, I mean, I've been through every scenario, I think in the book now in my career of, of, of emergencies. Um, but that drilling, that yeah. training, that practice, even the tabletop discussions, it all helps make it smooth in the end. Mm-hmm. As much as you want to be proactive with that ounce of, of prevention is worth a pound of cure, there's always going to be something that happens if you have a long career. You're never, you're never just going to sail through. Right. There's going to be something. Um, All the marine-isms. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be something. and You're you, going to have rough seas at yes. some point. <laughs> yes, because we know what if we know calm sea has never made a sailor. Something is going to happen. You cannot control everything at all times. Yeah. You have to train, you have to prepare for it, you have to be so proactive. control what you can, right? Mm-hmm. Control what you can, be proactive when you can. Um, but training for the event of an emergency covers you on the other side. Yeah. Um, with that, um, we did. I, my crew on uh, one occasion out in early spring, we still had ice flows. We did recover a person in the water uh, from icy waters. Wow. Yep. And uh, he's still walking and living today. Wish he would return my call or was Um, you? uh, I actually activated the system for the Coast Guard as well. I'm the one who actually spotted them off the lookout. I was training another captain at the time on helm um but i was the i was in command of the vessel and i was doing my duties a lookout taking in abnormal things at the time of the year like when you're out and you're on route and you're passing and you're like huh that doesn't look right why why is there a guy fishing in a canoe with ice flows going by it and you start back on your route and you're coming around and and you're like Something doesn't look right. I'm like, is, is someone kayaking? And then you get a little closer, like not much further. And you're like, and the words come out, the curse words. I'm not going to use them. <laughs> uh, thank you, Coast Guard, for not prosecuting me for those words on the radio. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, the words come out and you're like, there's a person in the water, a man overboard. And wow. you're calling it to the crew. You're like, get ready. And you just start the maneuvers and you're calling in the, the scene to the Coast Guard. Wow. And uh, you're pulling up and pulling a guy hanging on for dear life in icy water, low profile at that point. Holy smokes. On board, shivering, not dressed appropriately, and having the best passengers who are ready to assist I had 14 passengers that day. It was a very small on that trip. 14 passengers. And when that guy, when they pulled him up out of the water, uh, the crew did, those passengers pulled him inside, started stripping his, his the cold, the cold water, yeah. getting, getting him covered back Holy in as, smokes. you know, we still have to get to port to get him medical treatment. Right. And knowing the time, the possible time frame too. Like when you take note that, shit, what, excuse my French. <laughs> when you passed him the first time, approximately what time that was, you know, like replaying right. it to this day, like knowing. And then when I come back, back around, around on the route going, 
he potentially could have been in the water for 30 minutes. Wow. And had I not been out there and this still occurred, knowing that the next vessel and ferry from Canada, because we were on the border, Mm -hmm. the next time they would have come by would have been maybe 15, 20 minutes, which would have put him in the water for 45 minutes going, he is very, very fortunate. Yeah, I was like, to he be was alive. really threading the needle. He was. He, they would have been recovering a body. Wow. And I give a lot of credit to my crew for being able to jump into action on that day. Um, they made me look really well. And the Coast Guard did recognize our, our, our vessel and our crew for it in the end. Wasn't something we were seeking and, and sought after. Mm-hmm. Um, of course not, but, right? But those are the drills. That's when it becomes automatic. Yeah. You never want that to be automatic, but when you do the drills, all of a sudden it's go time and there's something subconsciously that just goes into play. Yeah, and it's, and it's do it. And taking pride in the fact that my crew, no matter if I had a crew, of, if I had a crew of, I was one of three for the day or one of five or one of 10, no matter what the combination was, that everybody knew their role knew where, what equipment they were responsible for grabbing on the way to muster. Um, when the Coast Guard would come on for our mandatory drills every year, be like, all right, what would you like us to do? Well, get us to a safe spot, Captain, and then uh, we'll just start calling off drills, and, and uh, you guys go, go at it. And all of a sudden, you know, Coast Guard coming back up and be like, all right, well, that was a good five minutes. We're done, so let's start heading back to dock. I'm like, yeah. We just wanted to get them over with. We've got things to do today. <laughs> but them knowing they're like, you met all of the time requirements for your drills. Mm-hmm. Pulling somebody out in two minutes from the time you identify and get on scene to the person, you know, getting it maneuvered. If they came off your own vessel, they give you like two minutes mm-hmm. to maneuver your vessel back around in close quarters. Wow. Um. If they're unseen, you get a longer window because you didn't know that they existed. But being ready, life jackets on for the crew if they have to go into the water for retrieval, ladders ready to go down to pull them up, um, block and tackles, life slings, so that if the person is too tired to come up a ladder, how are we going to recover them? Mm. I mean, there's so much new gear on the market since I started from like the Marcus net is like one of the most amazing the newer features, net? the Marcus Nets. Okay. Um, if I'm saying it correctly. I know exactly where, if I needed it, I could find yeah. it. <laughs> but this is, it's like they took a cargo net and they weighted it on one end so it forms a ladder for people to climb up out of the water. Oh, I think I've seen it. I know but they can also about. put a person in the water, the victim, they can roll the victim into it and roll them back up. And that thing's amazing. 11 people just think of you like, what a brilliant idea, and, right? <laughs> what's really cool is a lot of these designs and these advances are coming from former yachties. They just saw it and they had the ideas and they pursued it. Yeah. There's so many things that came from there. Yes. Um, we definitely want to talk about the leadership um, component of it, but you made a decision. That's on your commercial history, yeah. right? You made the decision to leave that yes. and come down to Florida because <laughs> everybody makes their way this way. Um, and they go into the yachting side of it. So why that decision? And what's that journey been like? So I do have to give credit to Hargrave Custom Yachts on that one. Okay. Um, Absolutely fabulous team. And 
I hadn't realized for years that they had been passengers and guests aboard my vessels up north. Really? <laughs> oh, I love that. I had been having conversations with them for years, unknowing who they were, what they did. Um, just having great conversations. Just you being you with them your... being them, having a great time vac- on their summer vacation. Oh my gosh! Uh, walking down the dock at customs, seeing like a really awesome like boat pull in to do check in, and like seeing how like the captains could could operate them remotely. Because in the commercial world, we don't do that. Like we're on the helm. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, that's really cool. How are you guys doing that? You know, first time I saw the headsets come out. Yeah. Um, was talking right to one of their fleet captains who was picking up a, a, a vessel and bringing it back southbound for the, for the winter months. Like just having these conversations, not knowing who I was talking with, not realizing that when I was 16, the restaurant that I was um, working at as a hostess, that the owner was a broker at Hargrave also, not putting any of this together because I was just doing my job. Right, you were in it. You were um, yeah. present, you were in it doing the work. Yes, and it wasn't about who am I going to meet? What am I going right. to do? I'm just doing. Um, so I was down here one winter, actually over in Fort Myers, as I was trying to get my kind of feel, the South Florida, how was I going to transition to yachting once I came down here? I have my commercial I can always fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a call that winter, during, right before the Miami Yacht Show, when it was still on Indian Creek. Okay. And it was, Carrie, are you in South Florida? I'm like, yes. Well, um, we had someone who had to back out due to a family emergency from the boat show. Like, how fast can you get to Miami? And I'm like, three hours? <laughs> They're like, well, that's okay. We Perfect, but we don't need you till, like, tomorrow. So you... <laughs> <laughs> we don't need, like, this is when we need you to show up and we need you to work entire, like, you'll, you'll be working and living aboard and doing setup and um, crewing one of the vessels during the show. And I'm like, all right, yeah, that's really cool. And I get down here and we get setup all done. And at this point, you know, it, it's a massive setup. Um, I want to say we had 10 Hargraves at that setup okay. that year. So it was massive yeah. like, between all of it um, with this crew. And they were like all not letting me in on a secret because a lot of them were from back home and they all knew. And I'm like, so I knew everyone I was working with. Okay. Um, so everybody you were working with was from? Yes, okay. we were all from up, up, up north. And first day starts and the rest of the, the, the crew coming in, the daily you know, gatekeepers, mm-hmm. office staff, support staff, everyone that's coming in during the show, brokers, all of that. They all start coming in to the display, come down on the bus. And then all of a sudden, little by little, these faces that I had been interacting with that had been on my boats and I had been talking to on the, on the docks and at restaurants, they just start popping. I'm like, What's going on here? It's like an episode of This Is Your Life, right? It really was. <laughs> and then the final two walked up and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And they're like, no. Oh, wow. They're like, not one time did you ever ask us. They had to love that. And I love them to this day. Like, they have been so supportive of me. Um, I still see them multiple times that. a year down here. You know, we're in fast-paced world, so... 
whenever I get a shot. We're interacting on Facebook with each other. Um, and the entire Hargrave team has been absolutely fantastic. I love that. That is such a great, great story. <laughs> you know, I was so encouraged because as we were talking earlier, Captain Wendy Clark, um, she said so much about mentorship. Captain Kelly Gordon, big time membership. Uh, Absolutely. Mentorship, making sure that taking the extra energy and time to support people that are up and coming through the maritime industry. Um, Norma Treese talked about it big time today. And you have said it so many times through here that there's some key people that went above and beyond their job yes. to encourage you, push you, um, be there supporting you when you didn't even know they were there. And so I know there's things in this industry that are not so great and they're being exposed right now, which is the best way to get rid of it. You shine light on it and it can't hide. And there's, but then I repeatedly hear this and that you are so encouraged and you were so supported just by being you and working hard and continuing to show up and taking pride. I think it, that's a big part of what I've heard is like, you weren't doing it for any other reason other than like that was, it's in you to do hard work and you're doing it. Because, we call it Puritan work ethic in my family. Yeah, I mean, it's there. When you said something about leadership earlier, when, you know, everybody knew where to go. So if there's a fire on board, if there's a man on board, mm-hmm. every member of your crew, whether it was two or 10, knew exactly where they had to go, what equipment did they need to get. And it reminded me of, I went to a leadership conference last year in North Carolina. And this guy came up and he was the last speaker. And he was talking about leadership and the analogy with going to war and how communication is so incredibly important. And he said, you know, you, you have your squad and you're going to war and you're on a mission and you have to run through a desert and you have to go into this abandoned building and you're trying to take down the bad guys, right? And you've got eight people on the squad and they all have to make that journey and they all hold different roles. And if they don't all know what the mission is and what their role in that mission, yes. if you could end up in the wrong room, you could end up exposed, you could, you know, really lose parts of the squad members and... But that is so similar to business, right? Because if, if you don't communicate with your team, we're heading in this direction and this is our mission. We're going to take care of the customers. We're going to build the best of the best. And no matter what, we're allowed to talk openly about if we think it's a good idea or if it's a bad idea. Because ultimately, we're all on the mission of taking care of our customers. But same thing with you, right? You had to be a leader and communicate what everybody's role was and they had to own that. So I think that that's just such a, an important thing of just that communication and taking the time. Because everybody's different. I mean, there's so <laughs> many personalities out there, right? So I, I'm not going to deny the fact that in my career, I have encountered a lot of gatekeeper captains and mariners. Mm. Um, overcoming that is one of our biggest challenges. Uh, the gatekeepers are retiring. A lot of them are retiring. We do still have um, some gatekeepers due to cultural upbringing. Okay. Uh, but the gatekeepers are what if they've unfortunately held us back from the mentorship side of it. Um, it's weaning out. Yeah. The downside to the gatekeepers is it's, it's created a crew shortage, a mariner shortage globally from the gatekeeping. Um, Maybe not willing to pass down life knowledge. Yes. Right? Yes. It is weaning out. They're actually their own worst enemy because when you do get that group that's coming in and we're not going to, you're not holding us hostage anymore. Yeah. um, We're going to take you out. Like, 
we're going to take that. that I'm going to keep out. showing up and I'm going to continue to show mm-hmm. up, right? Yeah. Even when you're only making 20 bucks an hour as a captain. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's the realism of a lot of passenger vessels. They're not glamorous, mm-hmm. high-paying jobs. But when you see women and non-traditional crew members willing to take that money for the experience and they get that experience and then they, they, they say, all right, I just built a really great base. Yeah, I'm doing something with I'm, this. But I can't afford to be here my entire career. You know, it's another reason why you see commercial captains and crew wanting to transition over to, to yachting and luxury. Cruise ships go bigger, you know, that yeah. type of deal. Uh, because you can't support a family. Right. It's an opportunity. Yeah, Career-wise, financially-wise. It's a great building block. And it's also great to come back to at the end of a career. Yeah. You know, when you want the lighter load and you want to go home every <laughs> night. It's great. It absolutely is. But there's an in-between. And there was gatekeeping enough that that in-between didn't exist. Um, and now we're building that mentorship back up. I love that. Yeah. So— to yachting, and now you're holding, so you're a Coast Guard instructor. Yes. And how long have you been doing that? So I started with Sea School this past uh, fall in the process. I've been absolutely great and fantastic getting into the training. Um, you don't just jump into the classroom. You yourself have to go through training. You have to know how your school teaches. Of course, yeah. Yep. You have to so know how you can be bought in too, right? Yes, so you have exactly. to believe in it. Uh, I teach primarily in Miami. Okay. I'm kind of a I'm 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 moving and transitioning into being a floating instructor um, to fill in gaps in the schedule. Okay, as I'm also a working captain, but teaching the base foundation for U.S. credentialing is huge. You get a direct impact. It's that mentorship part. Yeah, be like, all right, you guys, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do it right. Stop saying, I'll never need this. Okay? Like, feels like a pretty good impression. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nailed it if I have another one student that says that to me. Um, but I'm never going to need this. And I'm like, and then you will. <laughs> okay? And I'm like, this is the course that lays the foundation even for the ship captains that are licensed out of the U.S. Everybody starts at this level. And I go, once you leave with this, this course with your certificate and you turn it in and apply for your credential— all of a sudden, you get this shiny credential back, and all of you that sat in class telling me, well, I'm ever only going to do this, you're all like, well, now I'm going to deliver 100-foot yachts <laughs> with no experience. And I'm like, that's not how it works, you guys. Like, first of all, good luck getting the insurance company to sign off on you delivering that vessel. Second, you're still going to put time in on those yachts down on deck mm-hmm. crew. You have to. Like, that— License you just got, that's what got your foot in the door. So you came off commercial, had the sea time, you get your foot in the door, you're scrubbing tea. Love it, learn it. While you're learning products, how to maintain your boat, which is all very vital mm-hmm. to the vessel, whether it's commercial or it's recreational. Start training yourself up a level. Know what the guy or the gal above you does. Doesn't mean that you make it seem like you're ready to, you're trying to like force them out and take their job. You're learning Mm -hmm. because at some point 
either they make a decision that they're moving on to a different program or they move up and that opening comes up, or you realize that you need to move to another vessel's program to keep growing and flourishing. It's a natural yeah. evolution. Um, getting in on the ground layer and level and bringing that sense of career and professionalism over to the OUPV or the six-pack licensing, laying that base foundation has been absolutely amazing. Um, even if they're only going to go out as fishing guides on, on the sport fishes. Yeah. Uh, or they, they move up to the next level and they're taking the headboats out of Bahia Mar, you know, um, to do some drift fishing. The fact is, at some point, they get that sparkle in their eye, that little twinkle, and they're like, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to make sure that you can do that because the license allows you to. And so you love it. I do. I, I will admit, like, I never started my career out saying I'm going to become a training captain or an instructor at one of the maritime schools. I, I kind of fell into it, you know, like when they started throwing captains on board with me and then crew to train. I was going to say, I heard it when you were talking yeah. about it earlier. Yes. I, I stumbled into it. But the opportunity that Sea School has given me to be able to start making a direct impact. And then as I impact it, being able to reach out and network and get yeah. to other captains and realize, hey, you guys, this is not our captain's pay. However, <laughs> you're making a lasting impression and it could come back around and support your own vessel if Absolutely. you're a working captain. So do you want them taught right? Or do you want them to all just sit there thinking, you know, they've done all their sea time on a 42-foot center console, and, and now they can respond to an ad to deliver an 85-foot yacht from Newport down to Fort Lauderdale in, right. the, in the winter for the winter. Like, Be that on. mentor. Be it. Step <laughs> up to it. It's not glamorous, but we need to do it in our career. All right. So now you're also pursuing yacht brokering? So I did. I joined a brokerage house this year. Okay. I, that one, I felt that one was another fall into the lap, but I'm enjoying it. It naturally came out of the relationship with my bosses as we found that they had outgrown um, their vessel. Gotcha. So, hey, we want to look for something bigger. Will you help us offload this one? So sat and had the conversation. Okay, so what are we shopping for? Like, what's the wish list? Let's go through. Let's talk about the vessel we're on. That sounds like a blast. How, How is this vessel not fitting you? And... What is it that we need if we were to make improvements on this vessel? What would we be doing it to make you fit your needs? All right, now let's add that up. You guys, that's not modifying this vessel. That's, that's buying a different vessel. Yeah. And then making the connections and finding um, the broker that was going to support that. Mm-hmm. And then that broker was like, you know, like, you're the one who actually found the boat. Like, you did, the, you did all of my work for me. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I didn't have, I wasn't a broker. And he's like, you naturally, just in what you do yeah. and the relationships you create, um, and ended up joining his brokerage house. Trust, knowledge, clear communication. I mean, all yes. those things that you've been doing for your entire life just continually show up so, as you're talking through it. Absolutely, and we're boutique. We're not, we're not trying to be... Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't want to drop boat name, you know, yeah. brand names or anything, but any particular brokerage that's about high turnover on sales. We want to make sure that our client, their needs are met. Yeah. They're happy. We're building long-lasting relationships with them, whether they're going to stay with a boat for 10 years, um, they're going to be with a boat for four years, and then they'll be like, all right, check that off the bucket list. I'm out. Yeah. Or they're going to say, ready for the next one. Let's go up a size. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, the recreational side of voting is fascinating because, it, I mean, you just said like, hey, I hit this financial status in my life or I hit this um, age status in my life. I'm going to do it. Yes. I'm, I'm going to get the boat. I'm going to get the big boat and we're going to go play on the water. And then he said crew turnover is yeah. one of the top reasons why people uh, abandon the industry. Yeah. Um, didn't expect that way too much. That I, I'm supposed to be relaxing. I don't want to deal with that. And then I meet the people who are we've decided that we want to live on a boat and then we want to travel around the And my brain goes, what? How do you, because I don't see myself do that, but who knows, right? Once the kids are gone, I just find that really, really interesting. And when you look at all the recreational boats out there, the variety, right? So you've got your trawlers, you've got your mini yacht, super yachts. What'd you call it? Giga yacht? Over 300. That's my favorite word so far. <laughs> like, it's just fascinating. But, right, so... All of the hats that you're wearing, um, it's important to me that when we started talking, we connected on so many different levels, but having the experience that you have in the industry, seeing some of the dark underbelly of the industry, mm -hmm. seeing some of the, the light that gets shine there and the positive side of it, what is, what is something you want the industry to know about you and a personal mission that maybe you're on and want to be a part of? Be, because it fell into my lap unexpectedly, I mean, in the end— when I'm ready to, when this mermaid is ready for shore, um, permanently, I'm going to be in a classroom. I'm going to be training future mariners. Um, it's not just about entry level at that point. I want to make an impact all the way up through all size classes, all both commercial, recreational, um, all sizes, all styles, all types. Uh, I am in a I'm not racing the clock, but I am dead set on moving to my unlimited before I go land-based. Like, before I make that decision, say, I'm back to shore. Yeah. Um, which, who knows? Maybe, you know, that will never happen. Maybe I will be blessed um, and command one of the training vessels so I get the best <laughs> of both worlds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they, seem, they seem to fall in line for you, so I wouldn't put it, put it beside you. But, yeah. Um, you had mentioned uh, what we were talking about. Everybody earlier. gets to go home at the end of the uh, end of the night, end of the trip, mm. uh, one way or another, and uh, families will get closure. That's one of the biggest things from maritime to have a successful career. Like when my mother and I had the talk, because we're not going to talk about the mark on you know the little the ink mark I put on my body that she found out about, and I'm like, well, mom, here you go. Here's a picture of it. Well, why do I need that? called Identification Mom. Oh, let's yeah. talk about this. Costa Con Concordia, the ferry over in Japan, when that all happened in that one winter. So when the Costa Concordia capsized in okay. Italy. And then there was a ferry in Japan that had an accident, a huge incident with loss of life. And my mother having, wanting to have that talk about what the true responsibilities of what you signed up for, for were. Like, did you read your oath when you took it as a mariner, as the master of the vessel? 
you understand like what this means. You're in command of a vessel. Every life that goes on that vessel is your, your responsibility. responsibility. Yeah. Like, I don't know if people get that. Obviously, the Marine world does, right? Your fellow yeah. captains, they get it. But for your average civilians, I don't think people understand that. I mean, that rolls into the bareback charter that we were yeah. talking about a little bit earlier. But when, I mean, my boat is 24 Fort Key West, right? And so when my husband gets behind the helm, and I'll call him captain, or we pull up somewhere, and they'll be like, all right, call me in captain. I was like, you are responsible for every person on this boat. Mm-hmm. And he, we're saying it more that obviously, you know, very, very recreational, you know, side of it. But, but it's still true. Real. It yes, is. it's still true, right? I mean, yeah. we got kids on the boat. You have other, you know, friends on the boat. But for, for you to take that oath, I mean, as you were just saying it, I could feel it. Yeah. Kind of re- we, we don't intend and we don't live our lives by we're going down with the vessel. That is like the worst plan a captain can ever make to say, I'll go down with the ship. We should be training, mentoring, and leading our crew as well as our passengers so that everybody gets in the life raft. And that includes us as the master of the vessel, that we step into the life raft and everyone is accounted for. Is that a still, a, do people think that way? Is that still a plan? There are um, people that, you know, the movies make it seem right, like right. Captain <laughs> goes down with the ship. We all watched Perfect Storm, right? <laughs> That's the worst movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it looks swiftly. Yeah. Um, ultimately, will it happen? But like your responsibility, so that cruise ship capsizing and the captain leaving the vessel, going ashore, he's sitting in, he's sitting in international prison because he left the vessel with lives still aboard, he abandoned his vessel, essentially. And his excuse was, well, I was leading command from shore. Not until you're relieved by whatever agency, depending on what country you're in, tells you as the master of the vessel that you are relieved and can come ashore. Like, wow. I, I hate to draw the parallels to um, the... Captain Sully from the Hudson. Mm-hmm. But you saw a guy, even in a, we're not going to say the best of reenactments, right? But you saw a movie presenting a story of a real-life scenario where he was not leaving that plane until he had all souls accounted for outside getting rescued. He was not leaving. That, you know, he, he was going to drag someone. He was going to do it. He was going to make sure. Um, he understands that responsibility. That's the same in maritime. It's yeah. the same responsibility, whether you're an airline pilot or you're a vessel captain. Um, that discussion with my mom, though, she's like, you will not leave that vessel until you know. Like, I have, with new crew and orientation, mates, you know, whether they're a deckhand, a mate, a chief stew, department head, whatnot, you know, making them understand that if I call for abandoned ship, you guys are to go. This is how it works. I make the life raft? Yes. I don't make the life raft? Or you think I need help? You do not get out of that life raft and try to come back and save me. Because for all you know, I'm good. There was another life raft that I'm on in on the opposite side of the vessel and we'll meet up. But like, when I give you that order, you have to understand you guys do what you're supposed to do. It's an order. It's an order. I go, you decide you're going to try to rescue me, come back and rescue me, and I'm, 
you die on that boat because I made it off on the other side and I was safe and I was good. Well, you just put a life sentence on me as well. Mm -hmm. I'm going to investigation and I could end up sitting in jail because of that. So you, my life is, is one way or another taken away. Yeah. Aside um, from also the emotional impact that you would. Absolutely. Yeah. So like, you know, when we have to have that discussion about this is what it means to step up to that command. But however, we're doing everything we can because that is a piss poor plan for the captain to go down with the ship. Yeah. That's not the plan. That is not <laughs> the plan. But realize that if I'm not in that life raft and the vessel is going down, what your job to do is, and you do it. Because for all you know— And that goes I'm, back to all the drills that you yep. are running. For all you know, I'm still, I'm still alive. And I'm off the vessel. And you can just swing back around. And the thing, yeah. the, the fact that all—we I mean, kind of go back to what you were saying about the monthly log items, the man overboard drills. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you, you and I met talking about Vessel Vanguard. Yes. I know we're planning on going forward with one of the vessels that you're supporting for yes. that. When we were walking through it, you did say like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. And I think it was the documents. I think that's when you were like, I kept Absolutely. all my documents on here. So if you don't mind just kind of giving some feedback <laughs> because you all hear me saying all the time. <laughs> so what does, I mean, I think about the checklist for these types of things. Um, but having access to these documents, what, what was it about that that you were like, ah, that's great. <laughs> so one of the biggest frustrations has always been we are a paper-heavy industry. Uh, we have manuals, we have documents, we have to update the documents consistently. Every year you're putting in for your new document under your flag state. Um, if you're in the commercial world, you're renewing certificates of inspection, compliancy certificates, if you're foreign flagged operating out of the U.S., like the cruise ships, doing inspections. Um, and the paper is heavy. Your training logs, everything. To be able to digitalize that and not have it actually opens up your work, your work day to be able to come off of paperwork and be so paperwork heavy and laden mm -hmm. that you can get into the nuts and bolts of the training, making sure your program is top-notch and mentoring. You now have time, so you get out of the emergency training mode and now you get time to train deckhands a roll-up. Oh, you want to be the bosun who is on the tender with the guests going ashore, but you don't know how to operate the tender yet. You need hands-on. Well, I'm not pushing as much paperwork anymore. I now have a chance to take I you out. I can support you. I can spend time with you. Absolutely. And it play, comes back around and supports the mentorship of a program. That's fantastic. Huge. Didn't you say something about, like, up in, maybe it was Seattle. I could be making this up, but that somebody walked away with, the manual? So we had a little snafu. Like the technicians um, that installed one of our upgrades before the boat came over um, took the manual back off the boat and never got it back on the boat before the boat cast off on its trip. And that's it. You don't and have that with so you. And so we had to chase down manuals in order to make sure that the system and we had it programmed correctly and everything. And that's a pain. Yeah. So being able to digitalize those two being able to recall those, not having to search for what bunk it's under. Yeah, right? <laughs> it is, it's, it's huge. Yeah. All of that is time-saving, which allows you to get back to the nitty-gritty of the program of the boat, keeping it top-notch, keeping the vessel in really great shape, broker side of me coming out, 
resale value. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> the pedigree of the vessel the pedigree, is real. The pedigree, yeah. yep, insurance. The insurance is going to come back around, and the better trained your crew is, the more the premiums are coming down. Um, being able to do that all makes it, because as much as it's fun, even our vessels are classified recreational for the most part. We're small businesses, whether we're charting, chartering or we're private. It's a small corporate division. It's a small business. Like, the captain just happens to be the CEO. I love that analogy. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I know that we could continue the conversation. Gosh, we could. Thank you so much. Is there anything last word you want to say to the boating industry? Uh, Safety. Um, I know life jackets don't seem cool. (laughs) That's been my big push my entire career on the safety part of it. Um, Get over that life jackets don't seem cool. There's a style, there's a size for everyone mm-hmm. to make it comfortable. Uh, they're like seatbelts. Yeah. If you're That's not wearing analogy. them, and I know there's exemptions as boats get larger and what you're doing, but if you're not wearing life jackets appropriately when they should be on and required, then it's like driving a car without seatbelts. So, Great analogy. Yep. I love it. All right, thanks you, everybody. I'm so grateful. We will absolutely tag Captain Jenny, and you'll be able to catch up and, and watch her and see everything that she's been a part of. Reach out to her if you need any support going forward. Obviously, she's got a lot of experience, and she's willing to help you up through the maritime industry. So grateful for you, Boating Insider. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.